Be seated. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. We've been reading this for the last several weeks, and we want to continue to go along this same line for a little bit. Revelation chapter 12 is talking about Israel, past, present, and future. But more importantly, it's talking about the people of God and not just the land or the nation of Israel. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is of course talking about the devil's attack against Jesus and the nation of Israel. She brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared, for God, prepared of God that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. This is talking about during the tribulation period, specifically the last or the half of the tribulation period. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was there any place found anymore in heaven and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent caused the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world notice that phrase which deceives the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast out into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The fact that it mentions the testimony of Jesus Christ tells us this is not just talking about the nation of Israel alone. It's talking about the people of God or the church. Now we've made a statement many times over the last number of weeks that this is the backdrop, this story is the backdrop for everything else that's happening in the earth. 
The devil is waging war against the church, the people of God. His hope is to bring the church to naught, to strip it of its power, and even deny, if possible, their opportunity to, to gather together and so forth. Folks, we need to realize that deception is not something, just something in the spirit realm or concerning religion or concerning the word of God that we need to take care of and to heed. The devil is, uh, is deceiving in a lot of ways outside of just the church. I think when, when uh, for many years, I know I did this, I really wasn't thinking about doing this. It wasn't a conscious thing. But when I would read signs of the end and recognize that uh, a major part of it was going to be deception and how many times the Bible speaks of being deceived and false prophets and false apostles and false teachers and so forth, I think I assumed for a long time that the deception that we needed to guard against was just deception concerning spiritual things. But that's not the only way the devil deceives. We know that when Jesus was tempted of the devil after the 40 days in the wilderness, one of the things the devil tempted him with was the glory of all the nations of the earth. He said, he showed to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said, all these things I'll give to you in the glory thereof if you'll worship me. He said, because that is what's been delivered unto me. So Satan is claiming credit or claiming possession, maybe is a better way to say it, He's claiming possession of world governments. Now, we recognize and we know clearly that Satan's finest hour, his greatest work, is going to be when the Antichrist is revealed. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us, writing to the church, he tells us that the Antichrist can't be revealed as long as the church is still here. Thank God God's made a plan for us to escape and leave this earth before these things take place. Well, the Antichrist is revealed. One of the first events of the Antichrist, uh, of the tribulation, is the revealing of the Antichrist. And we know from the devil's attempts and what he does when the Antichrist is revealed that his plan is for a one-world government. Get this, folks. The devil wages war against God and his people in his attempt to bring forth a one world government I don't want to go so far as to say the government is our enemy although it's pretty obvious that they're rarely our friend but the force behind the governments of the earth that is our enemy there are numerous times in the scripture where the Bible speaks of a dual kingdom or a dual governmental setup. It talks about the prince of Persia being ruled by an unseen force, a spiritual force that the Bible calls the king of Persia. So we see that there are earthly things that are taking place, but spiritual influences that cause them. I dare say that very few of the people that are in government working against the church are even conscious of the fact that they're being influenced by evil 
nor do they recognize the church is really the target. See, if somebody's deceived, they're deceived not only about the reasons they do things, but the results of what they're doing. But folks, it's been more clearly identified, and it is the easiest to identify the influence of the devil in the world that we're living in, the present times that we're living in today than ever before. And everything that happens, everything that is happening, everything that is going to happen is a result of the devil trying to take the power away from the church, to scatter the church. Now, Jesus spoke about the end times in, math, in uh, Matthew chapter 24. I'll invite you to turn there for a little bit. The disciples bring to his attention the, the beauty of Herod's temple, and Jesus was very unimpressed. The reason he was unimpressed was not because it wasn't beautiful. It was, by all accounts. But he was unimpressed because Herod built it. An ungodly man built it as a monument to himself. And it wasn't built by the people of God. And so he kind of throws off on it and says that there's coming a day where there won't be one stone left upon another. Well, his disciples came to him privately after he said that and wanted to know some additional information. Beginning in verse 3, it said, And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. I used to read that as just his opening line to the things that he was going to tell us about to look for concerning the end. But folks, this is the major point of the things coming at the end. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We've talked about this some as well, but I, I, I can't read it without making the comment. How many of you are going to fall for somebody coming up and saying, I'm Jesus? That's nuts. Well, it would be just as nuts for them to take that same position. These disciples that Jesus is talking to, they haven't been born again yet because he hadn't been to the cross. But in a short period of time, that would change. Now, after having been with him for three years of his earthly ministry, in closer relationship and fellowship with him than anybody else ever had or would from that point forward, are they going to be fooled by somebody saying they're really the Christ rather than Jesus? It's got to mean something more than just what the words are telling us. So he said, many will come in my name saying I am Christ. Again, this is part of the devil's deception. Now there's a couple of possibilities, but outside of just possibilities, I'm not sure any of us can figure out the whole thing until after it's done. After it's done, we'll look back and say, oh yeah, why didn't we see that? But one of the things that seems to be taking place in the world around us that's so very noticeable to me at least is people claiming that Christians, somebody that's really saved, somebody that's really a Christian, wouldn't act in certain ways or participate in this behavior or do that behavior. 
But I'm not talking about sin as as concerning the behavior. I'm talking about how people are beginning to say, how could a Christian vote for Donald Trump? Well, folks, I'm looking at it the other way. How could a Christian not vote for Donald Trump? He's done more to befriend the church in a short period of time than anybody in the history of the world, outside of the founding fathers, perhaps. So I don't doubt at all. We're seeing some of it come to pass, although there's probably a lot more to it than just what I see. But we're seeing some things come to pass where Christianity is used as a lever or as a weapon by political parties. So Jesus said, many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. I I can't get off that previous point. Let me go a little bit further. Notice it says that people will be deceived by the claim, I am the Christ. Now, whatever that turns out to be, whether it's what I just mentioned or not, whatever it turns out to be, a lot of the church is going to be deceived. A lot of the church is going to be deceived. It's the most frustrating thing in the world for me to see Christians arguing political arguments and trying to support a party that, number one, outlawed God, And then secondly, stands up for the murder of unborn children. That seems so obvious to me. It's almost what I think of it in terms of why should I have to even mention that? But a lot of people are deceived and will continue to be deceived. Now, folks, that deception strips the church of power. If every Christian in America voted according to what the Bible says, just the basics, I'm not talking about getting in arguments about whether or not tongues is for us today or anything like that, just basics, then nobody could get elected without the Christian, the, the, the church's approval. You couldn't be elected dog catcher. if the church would vote according to the Bible. You hear a lot, we see a lot of people complaining about the the manner in which the president does things. People that claim things like, well, he's just so unpresidential. That's like when Jesus talked to to the Jews about naming the Syrian. You remember the story of Naaman? He was a captain in the Syrian army. And there was a little slave girl that was in his house. And this little slave girl told Naaman 
Naaman was a leper. And this little slave girl told him about the prophets in Israel that could heal his leprosy. So Naaman goes down to where Elisha is, who was the prophet of the day. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. When he hears that Naaman and his company is there, and he's a big, important guy, so he brought a lot of people with him. When Elisha hears that he's there, he just sends word for Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Well, he didn't want to do that. That's not good enough for an important person like him to dip in the Jordan River. A dirty river was beneath him. But the people that were with him finally talked him into it. They said if he had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. Just because it's easy, don't let it rob you of what God has for you. So he went and dipped in the Jordan River and came again clean. A lot of people don't like the way that things are done. But it doesn't mean it's not God involved. Now folks, I'm sad to say that the church will continue to be divided. Jesus said so. Many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and shall deceive many. Wouldn't it be great if we had some kind of promise or the hope of the church unifying for the benefit of our nation, for the healing of our land. I wish we had that. And I, I, don't get me wrong, I believe there are a lot of things God will do. The Word says if we'll humble ourselves and pray and repent of our sin, then He'll hear our prayer and heal our land. But that's not going to be the church unifying. Jesus went on to say, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. The word nation is the word ethnos. It means ethnic group against ethnic group. It means blacks versus whites or any other skin color. The next is countries, kingdom against kingdom. That's talking about territories or countries. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and betray one another. And, there, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Now folks, I want you to realize Jesus is giving them warnings about primarily events. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But notice the one thing that cancels them all out. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. That word witness means with proof or evidence. In other words, the power of God, the power in the name of Jesus, will outstrip and outshine anything and everything else. 
and will sweep multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. Now I want you to look with me to something that Paul tells us about the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Notice that last scripture that we, wrote, that we read, the verse that we just read, having a form of godliness. That means that people are going to be claiming that the behavior that preceded that is okay with God. Having a form of godliness. Well, if they're acting in these ways, if these are the characteristics of the people that are living in the last days, certainly not the people of God, but the people that are deceived by the enemy, they're going to claim that they're living godly lives. In other words, the lines between right and wrong are going to be very much blurred. Now, when Jesus talked to the disciples in Matthew 24 about signs of the ends, he was talking more about events or things taking place. Paul talks about people. He talks about the condition of people. The Bible is showing us, the Holy Ghost is showing us what we can expect for the last days. Paul also wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, or specifically, clearly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now he's talking about the church. See, when in, in the scripture we just read before he was just talking about this is what the world is going to look like but now he's going to talk about what some of the church is going to look like now folks remember the bible says jesus is coming back for a glorious church i don't know how we can be a glorious church without the power of god in our midst because nearly every time the bible talks about the glory of god it talks about or includes the power of God, the manifested power of God in some way or another. So this, even what the Holy Ghost is instructing Paul to tell us, it's not going to be the whole church. It doesn't have to be us. But it is going to be a great number of the people in the church. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. You can't depart from something you didn't have giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In other words, yielding because of deception to the influence of the devil, just like governments are. In the same way, the same deception, the same type of thing that the devil uses or influences governments to operate in against the church or against the people of God. In the same way, the church is going to be a lot of that themselves. 
speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. We're going to have to be careful that we don't give heed to seducing spirits. We're going to have to be careful and alert so that we're not brought into the deception that the world is operating in. Now, folks, I'm going to do something I've never done before. Bear with me for just a moment. I'm going to read to you the headlines from yesterday morning. Murders in Chicago increased by nearly 80%. Portland devastated after 30 days of rioting. Antifa terrorists used explosives to attack Portland law enforcement. Antifa members light a police flag on fire, has it put out by a cop. University of Massachusetts nursing dean fired for claiming everyone's life matters in an email. Pitchfork-wielding mob descends on Bloomberg's mansion, chant attacks the rich tax the rich not the poor leftist protesters block entrance to Mount Rushmore for President Trump's speech National Guard makes arrests prepares to tear gas anarchists blocking the road to Mount Rushmore crowd cheers as tow trucks remove the disabled black vans blocking the road Democrat and deep state reactions to the China coronavirus are a sham economist celebrates the death of white elderly people Governor Newsom opens wineries closed. Governor Newsom orders wineries closed but keeps his open. Newsom's winery deletes Instagram posts bragging about being open for the fourth. Trump vindicated on hydroxychloroquine. State health departments manipulating data, changing definitions. Scientists still can't find a natural source for coronavirus. New campaign ad. Oh, wait a minute. New campaign ad, you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. Donald Trump Jr. says law and order will not, won't exist in Joe Biden's America. Biden confuses Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Senator Chuck Grassley rebukes Pentagon think tank that colluded against Trump. Video emerges of Bernie Sanders gushing over Mount Rushmore saying this is our country at its very best. CNN refers to Washington and Jefferson as just two slave owners. Now, folks, without reading the articles, just seeing some of the headlines, it follows pretty closely the list that Paul said that some would be and some would operate in in the last days. The thing that is surprised me the most is the speed with which these things have happened I'm not surprised in most of the things that have happened but the speed with which they've taken place is just amazing fascinating scary how could these things happen so quickly Well, we read in Revelation chapter 12, the devil knows his time is short. He's had a whole generation to teach and train up in the schools. 
and it's garnered a lot of support. You young people, you particularly are going to have to face a lot of peer pressure to stand up and do what's right or at least to believe what's right. You're going to have to decide, are friends more important to you than the truth? Folks, the things that are happening around us is pretty much a blueprint to the last days. What are we to do to these things or concerning these things? Paul wrote to Timothy, the two letters that he wrote to Timothy were from prison two different times in two different events or two different places, I should say. Paul talked to Timothy about persecution, which is a very appropriate subject for Paul because the reason he was in jail during the time that he wrote both of those letters was because of persecution. And he told Timothy to preach the word. He said, this is what it's going to be like. Here's what the Spirit of God specifically has told me about how things would be. But preach the word. Perilous times. One of the definitions of the word perilous means strength reducing. In the last days, strength reducing times shall come. You remember John the Baptist John was the one that had the first information about Jesus and who he was. And he knew it by the Spirit of God, not by anything that Jesus had said. And when he saw Jesus coming, he proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. When he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he hesitated or resisted somewhat by saying, You ought to be baptizing me because he knew who he was. John knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Messiah. But then as time went on, John the Baptist preaching got him in trouble. He called out King Herod for doing an immoral thing and committing sin, open sin, and claiming that it was all right. So John was put in prison and when he was put in prison, he sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus. And he asked him something that seems kind of strange, on one hand at least. His disciples asked Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Or are we still looking for somebody else? Now the prophet that knew more than anybody else about who Jesus was, is now having a crisis concerning his own faith. I've had some John the Baptist moments in my life. How about you? Jesus responded to the disciples, go tell John what you see. The lame are healed, the lepers are cleansed, the blind eyes are opened. And blessed is he that is not offended in me. When we look around us 
and are tempted to be discouraged. And it's one of the greatest things, one of the greatest tools that the devil uses. You remember when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower sowing the word in Mark chapter 4. He described that there were different types of ground that would produce different types of results. He said the wayside were like people that can't be bothered with things that are spiritual. They just can't be bothered. They don't want to hear it. They don't care. They just can't be bothered. But then Jesus told about the the seed that fell on the, the stony ground. They receive it gladly. They're glad to hear about the promises. But because they don't continue to water by speaking the word, to water the seed that was sown, Affliction and persecution arises. Or we might just say difficulty and trouble. And that's when they are offended and they let go of the promise that they received so gladly. Then Jesus talked about the the thorny ground where the seed was sown among thorns. He said the lust of other things, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world entering in and choke that word. So that it doesn't produce. But then the good ground. Produces. Some 60 some. Some 30 some 60 and some 100 fold. So Jesus really identifies two different things. That the devil uses. Concerning the word of God when it's preached. Difficulty and distraction. Difficulty and distraction. Well, how are we supposed to keep from being distracted? We can't control the difficulty. The devil will bring affliction and persecution to us. Paul's the one that said, They that live godly in Christ shall be persecuted, which explains why so very few of the church are. But he brings difficulty. The Old Testament tells about Israel that was commanded by God to walk around the people of Edom rather than go through their land. And it says the way was hard and the people were discouraged. So then they began to speak against God and against Moses. The devil wants to make it as tough for you and me as absolutely possible. Because he wants to bring about a crisis in our faith too. But as with John, we've got to keep our eyes on what God is doing. Not think about what we imagine or assume isn't taking place. That was what happened to Elijah. You remember Elijah had the contest between God and the prophets of Baal. The deal was, whichever God answered by fire, let him be the real God. Well, the prophets of Baal couldn't do anything. So after a while, Elijah started mocking them. And then he made it as hard for God as possible. He had them dig a trench around the altar and fill it with water. Now, they're in the midst of a three-year drought. So water was so precious 
probably the most precious element on the earth, or that part of the earth at that time. And so they soaked everything down. They filled the trench with water. They soaked the wood on the altar. And then Elijah prayed a simple prayer. Okay, Father, show them that I've done these things at your word and that you are the God in Israel. And fire fell from heaven and vaporized everything around. God proved himself to be the most high God. Now, is God less the most high God now than he was then? Does God have less desire to show himself strong among the people of the earth now than he did then? God never changes. So if God was willing to demonstrate himself like that in the Old Testament, and God initiated this, not Elijah. God initiated it. Well, if God initiated it then, can't we expect to initiate it now? But after Elijah wins this great contest, he hears that Jezebel, the wicked queen, has threatened to kill him. So he goes running up into the mountains. And he complains to God. He said, I'm the only one that's left. And God answers and said, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Folks, we need to realize there's more with us than are with them. I don't care what the polls say. I don't care what the governor does. I really think some of these people have overplayed their hands. Did you see the, the news clip? showing the city of Los Angeles shooting off fireworks last night? It's just a matter of time until people get to the breaking point. Now what's going to happen then? Well, I don't really know. I do know this. I know this coronavirus thing is just a dry run for something greater down the road. So what are we to do about these things? Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I've been hearing this a lot lately. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I've been watching Christians now for the last several weeks saying, well, all things will work together for good. But back up to verse 26. This is one scripture you just can't afford to take out of context. Romans 8, 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmity doesn't mean sickness there. It means weakness. Well, what weakness do we have? He identifies it. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, our knowledge is limited about what to pray for. 
That's a weakness. If we don't know what to pray for, then how can we pray for it? John Wesley said, it seems that God can do nothing for mankind unless man asks him. He then added, why this is, we don't know. Well, thank God we do know. Man has been given authority on the earth. The heaven, even the heavens, belong to God. But the earth has he given to the children of men. The psalmist said. So the weakness he's talking about is a lack of knowledge. How does he satisfy that lack of knowledge? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. With groanings which cannot be uttered. P.C. Nelson was perhaps the foremost Greek scholar in his day. And he just died in some 1947, somewhere around there. But he was asked about this scripture. What does that phrase with groanings which cannot be uttered mean? And he said the simplest translation of it would be God talk. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with God talk. Let me draw your attention. I'm coming right back to this. But let me draw your attention to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. Paul said, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Weymouth's translation says, He speaketh divine secrets. Well, divine secrets would be the things that we don't know how to pray for as we ought, wouldn't they? If they're divine secrets, that that, then that means they're secrets with God that we're not privy to until the secret is revealed. So back to Romans chapter 8. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm well satisfied that that means speaking with other tongues. Paul said that was speaking divine secrets, mysteries, spiritual mysteries, things unknown to the individual. Verse 27, he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now making intercession for the saints doesn't mean praying somebody into the kingdom of God. He's making intercession for the saints, not for the unsaved. So what is he doing or how does he make intercession for the saints? Well, the word intercession simply means to join two together. If I introduce you to somebody that's my friend that you didn't know before. I've made intercession to bring the two of you together. I knew both of you, but the two didn't know each other. So the intercession is just joining two together. 
Here we're talking about the Spirit helps our infirmities. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. It just simply means we are brought together by the Holy Spirit into connection with God in prayer so that we can pray out these divine secrets. We can pray out these things in other tongues that our mind doesn't know or comprehend. He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then we know. And then we know after praying about something in the Holy Ghost or in other tongues. And then we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil is the road that he travels, his deception. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. Here's that spiritual influence that governs nations. In the same way that the devil tries to influence nations, or men that are in authority in those nations, he tries to influence the church through you and me. We've got a real enemy out there. He's not a flesh and blood enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. Now, he's found a lot of flesh and blood people that will work with him. A lot of those are in government. But here's how we defeat that spiritual influence and those spiritual forces. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying. This is prayer armor. Praying. Always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now where it says praying in the Spirit, I don't think that means just praying in other tongues. I think that means praying in, as you're motivated by the Spirit. Which in many cases is going to be speaking in other tongues. But remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Seems like you've got two extremes in the body of Christ. Some people want to get out of their heads and just pray in other tongues, and they can become fanatical about it. Other people just want to pray out of their heads and not use the Spirit of God and the utterance that he gives by speaking in other tongues. Paul operated in both of them. And it's interesting to me that Paul, who found himself in jail more often than any of the other apostles, maybe anybody else in the world, as far as frequency is concerned, he's the same one that said to the Corinthians, I pray in tongues more than all of you combined.
Paul was just a guy you couldn't stop. If you leave him out there, he'll preach to every city and get multitudes of people saved through the good word of God and the power of God on display. You put him in prison and he writes letters that the Holy Spirit saves for us for thousands of years. This is a guy you just couldn't stop. And he says that one of the things that he found to be a key to success is praying in other tongues. There was a fellow by the name of Reese Howells. He was a man that was greatly given to prayer. And the Lord showed him that he wanted to, that the Lord wanted him to start a Bible school. Well, that really wasn't Howell's area of expertise. So it kind of surprised him that that would be what God would direct him to do. But he did. And he started it somewhere around 1941, mid-year 1941. Well, on December the 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor was attacked. And so America found itself at, at war. So at that time, after the attack took place, the Lord spoke to Reese Howells again and said, this is what I wanted you to start this school for. I brought together people that I want you to teach to pray and to teach them to give themselves to prayer. So they did. They started praying stuff. Hours a day, they set up, instead of classes anymore, Bible school classes, they had prayer meetings or prayer times or, or whatever. And they were just led by the Holy Ghost to do it. Reese Howell said of himself or said of his own situation, he said, I knew how to pray, but I didn't know how to teach other people to pray. And so they just let the Holy Ghost guide them. And there would be things that they would pray. Newspapers weren't as quick or reliable in those days as they are now because they are so reliable now, you realize. <laughs> but it was the, one of the only means of communication that there were. And so the Lord directed them to write down things that they prayed. And so then they started asking God to show them what they were praying about after yielding themselves to a time of prayer. So they began making a journal, and it wasn't just him. But all the people in this school, which turned out to be a school of prayer, I guess. I think that would be a right description. And they would find that things that they were praying about were battles that we won against the enemy. Places that they didn't know. Circumstances that they weren't familiar with. They would find out sometimes six months, even a year later, this is what they prayed. This is how the battle went. This was exactly the way that it was won. Here's how it turned. Folks, I guess my point is this. God's not trying to keep us in the dark. God wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal his power. He wants to reveal his goodness. But it takes something on our part for that to happen.
In its simplest form, Jesus has already finished the work. There's nothing else left for him to do. But there's still a lot left for us to do. And the lot that's left for us to do is to yield ourselves to be used of God and then see the glory of the Lord manifested. Jesus said the gospel, this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness and then shall the end come. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. It's talking about a manifestation of his presence and a display of his power. The Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Finally, in James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. What's Jesus waiting for? Signs of the end are in such continuous happening, really. There is no prophecy left to be fulfilled. There's nothing left to take place that hasn't already begun in such a way as to count as being fulfilled. Jesus could come at any moment. What's our part? Our part is to pray. Our part is to ask God to reveal to us just what we can pray about and how effective we can be. Now, folks, this prayer school of Reese Howells, it had about 12 guys. It wasn't like there were thousands of people. And God's not looking for thousands of people to obey him. It doesn't take a big group. Anytime the Bible talks about prayer, Jesus talked about two or three together. Now, if we can get more people with the same heart praying together than that, then the, the greater number that we can have unified, the better it'll be. But even if there's just two or three of us, God will hear and answer our prayer.
I firmly believe, folks, that the last day purpose of the church will have and does have as much to do with prayer as any other thing. I believe as we give ourselves to prayer and obey the leading of the Holy Spirit, then the power will take care of itself. He'll confirm his word with signs, signs following. But when Jesus said, you remember the story, Jesus went into the temple and he saw the money changers there. And Jesus, realizing that he was out of pepper spray, <laughs> made a little whip out of cords, a little rope whip. And he went back into the temple and chased those money changers out so that they left all their stuff there scattered around. Folks, these are Jewish businessmen that Jesus separated from their money. Tell me that's not supernatural. What did he say? He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. When did God change on that? He never has and never will. We need to be those people of prayer. We need to be the house of prayer. I believe that's the call of the church in the last days. There are other things, and it'll expand to much greater than that, I'm sure. But that's the beginning point for each of us. We all want to be used of God some way, don't we? Here's the way to do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you promised that your church would be a place of glory and a place of peace. You promised that you'd take care of us. The silver and gold is yours. But you said, Father, that your glory would be greater in the latter house than it was in even Solomon's temple or the early days of the church. We see that Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, that precious fruit that can only be brought in by a move of the Spirit of God. So therefore, Father, in obedience, we ask you for the rain. We ask you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of your presence, even as the cloud of glory was in the Old Testament, and the display of your power, even as you displayed it in the early days of the church, as recorded in the book of Acts. Father, we thank you for showers of rain. We thank you for outpourings of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the vocal gifts of the Spirit of God to be in manifestation. We thank you for the power gifts of the Spirit of God to be in manifestation. We thank you, Father, for the revelation gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in manifestation. 
Show us things to come, Father. Show us as we yield ourselves to you. We thank you for giving us utterance in the Holy Spirit and helping our infirmities. But Father, we ask that you would make us worthy vessels to stand in the last days and be a part of the great last day harvest. Now, Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us utterance in other tongues. We thank you for helping us to pray for things that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment, please. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you want to, you want to commit your life to him and come into the family of God. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand right where you are? Lift it up high so I can see it. But if you'd like to come into the family of God this morning, just lift your hand now. Okay, looks like we're all family. If you're here this morning and you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Yes, several, three or four. Good, okay, now you can put your hands down. If you meant business with God, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to gather your belongings. If somebody came with you, I'm sure they'd be glad to go with you to the prayer room. And make your way into the lobby doors so you can be ministered to individually. Would you do that? Were you serious when you said you wanted to receive? Please make your way over to the lobby doors. It won't take long. And I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Father, we pray for these that are going to the prayer room. We know that we can expect each and every one of them to be filled with your spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues because you never withhold that from those who desire to receive. Thank you, Lord. We've recruited a few more into your prayer family, Father.
we thank you for revealing yourself to them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As Beth said earlier, if you can stay for a few minutes after church this morning, we're going to pray. If you can't stay, we understand. We'll ask you to exit out through the back doors there.